Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. Kevin Bowen, of course, does the morning show with Andy Sweeney. The wake-up call with KB and Andy each morning. That included a conversation this morning with Rick Carlisle, but a lot of the conversation is exactly what we'll talk about, and that's the Colts laying. They basically did, instead of going down and playing the part of Santa and delivering a gift for all of the Colts fans, they went down and played the part of the Easter Bunny and laid an egg in Atlanta. But, Kevin, the most burning question that I have for you is this. In the Bowen household, I assume that Santa came and was very good to your children, but do you leave out reindeer food for Santa as well or just the cookies and milk? Yeah, we did both. Um, well, yeah, I mean, how else is Santa going to have an you know, operating fleet to get through the night Correct. unless they're properly fed? So, yeah, I just felt like I was doing our civic duty. So what does one leave out for uh, Rudolph and the rest of the reindeer? Would it be car- just carrots? Yeah, we. Uh, I think we had a couple other veggies in there. I think Rosie might have thrown a tomato onto the plate. Yeah, you know, that's good. Match, that's good. You know, uh-huh. Match Rudolph's nose, I think, was some of the thinking behind that there. So, yeah, I think um, uh, some veggies maybe potentially on the uh, brink of uh, expiration as well. So <laughs> I, I think that's what was on the plate. Okay, when we look at the Colts and their performance in Atlanta, was that – more a about scheme b about not having your entire fleet or c the reality of who they are kind of starting to show itself um i mean the cop out is probably a little bit of a of all of it but i i I think there's you know merit to each of the points um you know, large picture, is this an average football team that's feasted upon a really manageable schedule? Yeah, probably. Uh, is it an offense that lacks explosion, especially when you take away, uh, you know, Michael Pittman Jr. and, you know, trying to create consistent product, even if you want to go to that level? Uh, yeah, I'd say that as well. And then defensively, I think that's the most disappointing issue from the game of um, just a horrific day tackling. Probably one of the worst tackling days I've seen out of a Colts team and you know, quite some time and no playmaking either. You know, I think when you play like a backup quarterback, you think, oh, wow, you know, you're going to have opportunities to make plays and no turnovers. Uh, first time in 19 games, they haven't had a turnover. And uh, the only sack was, you know, pretty much just kind of a, you know, a tackle for no gain on that play. So, uh, yeah, it's probably a little bit of everything. But at the same time, you know, Atlanta obviously had a lot to stack against them as well. And, uh, you really gave them their best moment of the season. Most points scored all year long. And a, a team that I think had a lot of questions about the future at head coach, certainly the future at quarterback for one day, they were able to celebrate Christmas. Kevin, when you look at the weekend in general, which way do you look at it, I guess? And, and this isn't meant as a personality test for you. I just mean, if you're the Colts, which way do you need to look at it? A, gosh, what a beautiful opportunity we bypassed because everything around us that needed to happen, for the most part, did. Or B, whew, huge relief, no harm, no foul. We delayed for a week losing major footing. I think the missed opportunity, and probably because the Cincinnati game happened on Saturday. You know, when they lost, I mean, that was the team that 
right now they have the head-to-head tiebreaker. If you look at the other teams at 8-7, and seven, you have it over Pittsburgh. You have it over Houston for now. We'll obviously find out next week exactly where that's going to go. But Cincinnati's the one that you're really, really worried about. And the Colts, you know, even Sunday's loss doesn't impact this. They continue to have a really nice conference record, which is also a tiebreaker that could get involved here if needed in the next couple of weeks. So uh, I would say that was kind of the one where if you were to win yesterday, uh, you would still be in control of your you know playoff chances. Technically, if the Colts win their last two and Cincinnati wins its last two, and they are the only two teams tied in a tiebreaker, uh, Cincinnati would get in over Indianapolis. So uh, you aren't in control because of, you know, your missed opportunity, of course, on Sunday. So I'd probably look at it there. And the AFC South door, I mean, continues to be cracked open with how Jacksonville's played over the month of December and, you know, another injury for Trevor Lawrence. And I know they finished the year with Carolina and Tennessee. But, I mean, still, I mean, you talk about a chance to, you know, potentially be, you know, in control of uh, a home game uh, for the playoffs. I mean, that that, that just kind of adds to it. So I want to go back to another point here, Kevin, if so that people are clear. If a wild card spot comes down between Indianapolis and Cincinnati and only Indianapolis and Cincinnati, advantage Indianapolis because they have the – or excuse me, advantage Cincinnati because they have the head-to-head, Right. But Correct. if it comes down yep. to Cincinnati, Indianapolis, and a third party, advantage Indianapolis because they have the better conference record, which if there are more than two, becomes the tiebreaker, correct? Yeah, I think the only caveat of that is if you throw like Buffalo into that group, um, and right now they are a game above Indianapolis and Cincy, but if Buffalo got involved, I think because Cincinnati has beaten both of those teams, they would win that. So. Basically, what you need is a multiple-team tiebreaker that not everybody's played each other or one team has played the others. Uh, that's why right now, if you look at it, there's all these eight and seven teams, Indy, Houston, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati. And to initially get rid of some of those teams, they use division tiebreaker. Well, Indy beat Houston, so that's why Indy is above Houston. And then Pittsburgh swept Cincinnati, so that's why they are above Cincinnati. Then you go with Indy and, and Pittsburgh, and obviously the Colts beat the Steelers last week. Um, so it's very confusing. It's up in the article on 107.5 The Fan. I try to explain as best I can. But basically, win out and cheer for a Cincinnati loss or cheer for a big old tiebreaker with Cincinnati, and you'll be fine. Now, the other curveball in all of this, Kevin Bowen, is the following, and that is – who realistically thought the Raiders were going to win yesterday, and the negative to that for the Colts is that kind of keeps the Raiders interested for another week, right? I mean, it's a very, very, very outside chance, but if you're the Raiders, you're looking at it and you're going, hey, we could actually wreak some havoc in this entire thing, right? And now all of a sudden, what looked to be not a pushover game, but certainly one where you had advantage Colts kind of looks tricky, does it not? The Raiders could still win the AFC West. Isn't that crazy? If they win their final two, yeah, and Kansas City loses their final two. Uh, I, I'd say the biggest question I have for the Raiders exiting yesterday, obviously, you know, huge one for the franchise, Antonio Pierce's emotion, you know, in his words, and, um, you know, kind of speaks for itself. But uh, obviously, Aiden O'Connell not completing a single pass in the final three quarters is no recipe for success. I mean, if you watch that game, it really just kind of turned in like a, you know, really like a 
five-minute span when Kansas City couldn't handle an exchange, and then Mahomes throws a pick six on the next drive, and then boom, the Raiders play from ahead. I mean, certainly the Raiders control the line of scrimmage, and that is something that if you look at you know, Sunday for the Colts, they did not do. They didn't do it against Cincinnati. They did it against Pittsburgh, and they did it, and they didn't do it against Atlanta. I mean, if you boil it down just to that aspect of the game, that's a huge reason why they've had two convincing losses sandwiched around a convincing win here in the last three weeks. So um, the other thing I'm curious about is, you know, just how are the Raiders emotionally coming into Sunday? I mean, certainly they're playing for a lot, but, like, that was kind of their Super Bowl. That was their almost like a little – probably more, honestly, but it would be almost like if the Colts win in Jacksonville whenever they do that again, if they ever do that again, maybe. <laughs> um, they kind of had that feel to it, but I would say on a bigger level considering interim head coach and heavy underdog and all that. But, you know, short week, multiple time zone travel. I mean, does that help the Colts out at all? That is something I'll be curious about. Kev, hope you had a great Christmas. Two-part question, first thing that has to be addressed as we texted yesterday. Uh, Usually the scene of a crime for a father and son is when the son beats you on the golf course. But uh, (laughs) it's your son outsmarting nine professional radio people. Uh, Your reaction to Max picking the Falcons? Max Bowen has uh, seven straight wins on his resume. (laughs) Um, Send them to Vegas! Yeah, it, it is a, a full ride to UNLV, I believe, has yeah. already been offered to him. So, seven straight wins. If you tailed the young kid, 15-month-old, um, and you know, simply just placed you know, a little $10 bet with him, you'd be up uh, north of $50 here as you enter the final two weeks of the season. If you wanted to go a little higher, certainly you could you know, have bought a really nice set of Christmas presents there. So, yeah, uh, I believe... If I'm not mistaken, I think it's the third straight week I've disagreed with them, and the third straight week I've been wrong. So quite quite humbling, to say the least. Unbelievable. Spe- I, go ahead. I was going to say, speaking of that, Kevin, what, what state would you say has the least academically prestigious state universities on its roster? Would it be Nevada? All they got to offer is Nevada and UNLV. Uh, does either one of those really academically blow you away? Are, are they – like – University of New Hampshire, I don't know anything about it, but it sounds like it might be kind of prestigious because it's in the Northeast, right? Yeah, I'll be honest. I feel like the further west you get, I'm just like, I mean, are the schools in Montana or Wyoming any good? <laughs> Is it that hard to get into New Mexico State? I, I, yeah. I, I, I totally agree. And then there's this they're, weird... They're very biased towards the western part. Uh, are, of the are you calling State, Josh so. Allen dumb at this? <laughs> well, I mean, the weird thing uh, is like the Northeast, it just sounds... Like I've said this before... I mean, I have no idea if Colgate's a good school, but it's like Ivy League. It's a fighting dentist over there. Yeah, just because it's in the Northeast, it seems prestigious, right? Well, and and also, I mean, I would just assume it's been around longer, of course, just based off how our country was settled. So, yeah, I don't. Uh, nothing against you know the uh, the diplomas from those universities, but yeah, I, I I can't imagine the resumes are too extensive out there. What What do you consider the most? Jimmy Cook and I one time, like Jimmy and, and I think it was Eddie both, were blown away when I said this. What do you think, Kevin, in your opinion, is the most prestigious academic institution in America? Because I have one in mind and it's not an Ivy League, but that's not to say you'd be wrong if you said an Ivy League. Go. Um, Yale, Princeton, MIT, I don't know. So uh, I mean, maybe one of the academies. I'd go Stanford. I guess Stanford takes every smart kid of the West, right? Because they don't have anywhere else to go. Because <laughs> they ain't going to Montana right. or New Mexico State, right? 
Yeah, and I'm also torn on, like, you know, how many of these out-of-state, like, I, I remember we had a good friend growing up who, like, he was a valedictorian at Carmel, got waitlisted initially at Notre Dame, but, like, got into North Carolina. You know, I feel like you get into some, not to get into, like, an admissions debate, but it's like, how many in-state kids can we take? And right. how many, you know, right. wait, we've got to satisfy the out-of-state tuition, financial component for us, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. Kev, my actual cult question here, and this is going to be a hypothetical, but with Pittman out, uh, and listen, working out Jarvis Landry, I'm not even throwing that into the conversation, but would having a bigger name, number three-ish wide receiver that can actually go out and help you, would that have made a difference yesterday? Or in the Colts game against the Falcons? Yeah, I... I I mean, yeah, I even think like an Ashton Doolin might have helped you a little bit. I mean, not to like, you know, act like Doolin or some, you know, savior, but if you look at the numbers for Alec Pierce and DJ Montgomery from Sunday, I think they played 132 offensive snaps combined. They had 38 receiving yards combined, four catches on 11 targets. I mean, I was talking – with Eddie Garrison earlier today about it. Like Pittman has become a guy where you just pencil in eight catches, 90 yards, and maybe a touchdown every single game. And like taking that for granted, it's just, it's just foolish. Um, you know, it was a really poor day for the wideout group. I'd probably even slot Josh Downs in there, just drops and, and catchable balls. I mean, not to act like Minshew was, you know, whatever, some all pro out there, but I thought he delivered some on target balls that his guys just did not help them out. Uh, in particular, those wideouts in that area. So Yes, I do. To answer your question, Brendan, I do think, um, you know, having another guy with some sort of resume, um, a little bit more of an established wideout uh, to make a few more consistent plays for you uh, would have helped you out. I think Montgomery was four targets and one catch. Obviously, that's a really poor ratio for him. Um, And it's not like you look at Atlanta secondary and think they're a vaunted, you know, cornerback group or anything like that. They're a nice defense, but uh, still, I thought, uh, honestly, I thought it was a great day for Michael Pittman's agent. A uh, great day for his contract negotiations. Um, just showing how consistently reliable he is, no matter the competition, no matter you know, who's playing quarterback for the Colts. And uh, you, you really, really miss them. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Kevin, I had asked this question earlier, and I'm not asking, I'm being legitimate when I ask this. That was the first time, and maybe I've just been asleep at the wheel for two years, entirely possible as we know. That was the first time that I have heard of an injury, instead of just simply concussion protocol, say as specifically brain injury. Am I am I wrong here? Have I have I just been not noticing this for, or is it just because it was a player of local interest, if you will, that, that that's the first time I've seen that terminology used that specifically? Um, I guess uh, like the. The Colts said that. I, I guess I don't know where. Yeah, when 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 Michael Pittman, so so I saw numerous reports that said Michael Pittman has now been taken out of the game due to like lingering effects of a brain injury. 
as opposed to just simply he's Got back it. in concussion protocol. I just said, and, and he, here's why. I, I know you know this because we work together. I, I will admit to being guilty at times of overthinking things, but to me when I saw that, that um, uh, immediately jumped out at me because I thought, look, I know that Pittman is going to sign a contract. Don't get me wrong. But I don't know. He seems like a, a, a you know, I don't know Michael Pittman Jr., but he seems like a very smart and, and respectable young guy. I, you know, maybe not this one, but does that accelerate him being an injury or two away from saying uh, of thinking whether or not he wants to play football long term? Because I don't know about you. Like, just for me, when I hear, I know what a concussion is. I know that a concussion is, an, is a bruising of the brain that takes place with a collision of the skull. I know that. But when I hear the term specifically brain injury with everything that we see of former players, that gives me a way more heightened sensitivity to it than elsewise. And feel free to tell me that I am absolutely overthinking it. Well, I don't think the Colts have ever said brain injury. I mean, I, I know that there are some reporters, I think actually Nate Atkins is one of them, where he often will listen, and maybe he does it every time, will list brain injury instead of concussion. I, I just kind of go off what the injury report says, and the injury report says concussion. Yes, it is. I believe it's the only injury. Maybe there's others you could point to. I think it's the only injury where a body part, per se, is not listed. Obviously, to your point, right. brain would be the um, uh, would be the body part. I, I think sometimes the NFL tries to skirt around that and trying to save a little like PR, and they'll say, you know, head injury or uh, obviously, concussion protocol, not brain protocol, if you will. So maybe it sounds better. Um, but yeah, I don't, I, again, I don't, maybe the Colts did say brain injury. I, I was told, you know, this is just, he's back in the concussion protocol, uh, you know, had a headache on Saturday. And that was why, after being cleared by the independent neurologist on Friday, um, that's why they decided to hold him out. I guess technically they could have played him in the game, but um, they decided to hold him out after that. Obviously, that makes sense. And, I mean, certainly you just hear Pittman's comments from Friday about, you know, there is an element of um, he doesn't really remember much of that play or the immediate, you know, kind of aftermath of the play. I think the kind of the first thought was, uh, you know, seeing his, his kids and his um, and his wife in front of him in the locker room, you know, as he was being looked at, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, I was, you know, you watch the guy walk off the field and you're thinking, you watch the hit and you're thinking there's no way he's going to play next week, and you watch him walk off the field, you're like, how is he even walking off the field? I mean, right. he did in Carolina, too, after that hit. But, yeah, I guess specifically to answer the question, I, I don't believe the Colts said brain, but, again, I know there are people out there that certainly do report that it is brain and not a concussion. Maybe that's something I should probably follow suit in, but um, I, I feel like at times when I've seen that, people are like, wait, I'm confused. I thought it was concussion. I'm like, all right, well. You know, maybe that is probably yeah. Because technically, I guess a concussion is a brain injury, right? But you know, the the other thing too, Kevin, um, that I wanted to touch on, and I guess this is not necessarily a question, but a statement, and then you tell me if you agree. I, I I saw, and I thought this myself, and I mentioned it earlier to Brendan. My first thought was, well, I would imagine that if you're coming off a concussion, that being on an airplane could accelerate or reawaken those symptoms. And even if he had been cleared by an independent counsel or an independent doctor, that the airplane ride could have caused complications, to which I thought to myself, why wouldn't they ground transport him to Atlanta? To then I thought, well, if 
if the injury is such that the difference between being on the ground or the air is enough of a factor to reawaken it, then it's probably an injury that needs to be rested for another week regardless. Does that make sense? Yeah, I was a little surprised that he traveled. Um, you know, I, I, I thought, and I could be wrong on this, I should probably double-check it, but I, you know, I remember being told that he woke up Saturday um, feeling, you know, whatever, headache symptoms. And that was before they traveled? Exact. Correct, yeah, Saturday afternoon is when okay. they traveled down there. Um, and then I assume, and again, this is my assumption, but just want to make sure that I'm clear with that, um, that I assume that, you know, him wearing the sunglasses that you saw on the sidelines was to do to, you know, light, sensitivity and you know obviously we all have you know been in sporting event venues and the lighting certainly is a lot lot different than just kind of normal office lighting so um yeah i i was a little surprised that he did even travel to the game considering because i was trying to think when that announcement occurred i mean it was like it was probably what five o'clock on saturday and i think at that point they had just landed i mean they'd probably been on the ground in atlanta within uh, i don't know within an hour or so maybe a little bit longer than that so um that would have been kind of a really quick thing of whatever you land and did he fly home then? Great. I, mean, I mean he would have flown back on the team because because my thought is if he if he went down there and then all of a sudden you know enough that he has to wear sunglasses indoors would it behoove them then to have had a bus or you know a limo or something? I know it's an eight-hour drive, but drive him home, or did he fly back? Again, I'm under the assumption that he did fly back. Yeah, because that part, you know, what I mean. Obviously, they know. I mean, bottom line is they know. But so let's get back to it now in terms of the Raiders and then uh, the Houston Texans to close things out, Kevin. Do you feel like this is a team, you know, what are the areas that if you are Shane Steichen and you come in today and you're like, okay, guys, we know what happened in Atlanta. Let's burn the tape. Let's move on. At this point, we know who we are. What is the biggest area of concern? And in particular, maybe now you have to factor in what Las Vegas does well, but what's the biggest thing right now that the Colts need to on this week, turn around and get to the, get down to it on? Yeah, I mean, you can't have Jekyll and Hyde out of your O-line. Uh, you, you obviously had them play great against Pittsburgh, the final three quarters especially. But Cincinnati and Atlanta sandwiched around that. I wouldn't consider either of those teams, you know, super formidable defensive fronts. And you struggled there. Um, you know, if you look at the Raiders specifically, they do have just some individual studs, really. And Max Crosby is one of them. And he primarily lines up opposite your right tackle. And you know, it kind of gets back into the T.J. Watt thing, and it only lasted for a quarter, but obviously Watt really made his presence felt. And I thought Sunday was probably Blake Freeland's worst game of the season. A lot of rookie moments from him uh, out at right tackle. So I think that would be something that you're watching for. Again, how do you get the run game going? How do you, you know, establish the line of scrimmage? Obviously, Minshew was sacked six times in that game, so there's a lot of domino effect off of that. And, and then on the flip side, you just need your defense to tackle better. And in this day and age of how the NFL operates – you, know, you don't really get many of those opportunities in practice super late in the year um, to really drill that home. And, you know, I think it's an anomaly. Um, but, again, it's not like you look at Atlanta and think, boy, those skill players are, you know, whatever, Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, and George Kittle. So that would be a question um, that you have as well, I think, of is that tackling performance something that was the outlier, which I think evidence says it, it, it is the outlier, but – um, that was just such an alarming day at every level of the defense. Gus Bradley, you know, was talking earlier today and mentioned that you know it's not just like you had one player or you know your DB struggled. 
um, you know, D-line, linebackers, DBs, everybody. Uh, and the Julian Blackman injury, um, kind of on top of all that. You know, he exited early. He is, you know, one of your very key communicators in your um, in your defense, uh, no matter the level. So I, I think that's an injury to watch as well. Kev, is there any warmth to Bradley's seat? Uh, that's a good question. I think there should be, and this is probably my opinion on the situation more than like internal warmth of, of, of the seat or thought there. It's I like more of an attacking mindset from a defensive standpoint. You know, I, I like dictating a little bit more to where, you know, the Raiders sit down tonight and they're like, man, Aiden O'Connell's like, I don't know what the Colts are going to show me. They've shown all this stuff on film this year, and I don't even know where they're going to begin. Whereas I feel like the Colts fall more on the side of, yeah, we know what they're going to show us. There might be a couple wrinkles off that, but for the most part, on the scale of 32 defenses, they fall on the you know quieter side of whatever, blitzing, pressure, disguising of coverages, those sorts of things. Again, I'm more of a – and it's been interesting because Frank Reich and, and Shane Sykin, they both have opted for a little bit more of conservative uh, defensive styles uh, with their coordinators. And I know that you know uh, Eberflus was, was a Ballard hire for the Josh McDaniel staff there. Uh, and Bradley was a holdover by Shane Steichen, but still, that's been interesting to me. But uh, there's obviously a lot of things you could point to with Gus Bradley's defense that you know people um, certainly stand out about this season. Whether it's the really high sack number, one of the highest in franchise, or actually, actually the highest in franchise history. Um, but again, I like a little bit more of a. Um, is this a blueprint that can win in January? And it, you haven't played a single quality quarterback in a couple of months, so I don't know how you can you know, truly say, you know, big sack numbers against some of these, you know, bottom feeder quarterbacks is an indicator of, you know, whatever. That all of a sudden would translate to real January football. Uh, I would look into it, but I'll believe it when I see it. And, again, part of this is, I guess, a little bit of an unknown. And we just don't know how Shane Sykin operates with some of this stuff. The previous era, I would say no. Um, you know, Chris Ballard obviously likes Gus Bradley. Um, and, again, there, there are reasons to keep him or, you know, strong suits on the resume ever – you want to describe it, but it is something that I would uh, I would look into. Kevin Bowen will be with Andy Sweeney coming up in the morning, of course, talking all week about the Colts getting set for the Raiders. That's a 1 o'clock kick New Year's Eve over at Lucas Oil Stadium. Uh, Kevin, Merry Christmas. Appreciate the time, as always, and we'll be listening in the morning. Appreciate that. Merry Christmas, guys. All right, Thanks, Kevin, Kevin Bowen joining us on the program. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Halfway home here on a Tuesday that feels like a Monday, which means tomorrow you're going to be like, hey, we're halfway through the week, even though it feels like a Tuesday tomorrow. It won't be. My name is Jake Worry. Brendan King in for Jimmy Cook. Eddie Garrison here as well, joining us on the program as he does typically, I would say, each and every Monday. But in this case, I'll simply say at the outset of each week. Don Fisher is the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers. Don, first, Merry Christmas. How was the holiday? Well, it was pretty awesome. Uh, we had my family here, my side of the family here on Christmas Eve. And on Christmas Day, we had Susie's side of the family here. So we had a full house, about 40 plus people in total. You know, Don, I, I have always said, um, you know, one of the real blessings at Christmas is when you can look around and realize that everybody's there that was there the year earlier. You know what I mean? That's right. I, honestly. Yeah, I do know what you mean. You look around and you go, hey, you know what? I, that's that's the most important aspect of all of it. So 
Um, glad you had a good holiday. You're getting, you know, Indiana now getting set for. And, you know, I was talking to John Herrick, who, of course, works on the, the pregame broadcast with you for Indiana basketball, and we were talking about the fact, John pointed this out, he said, Jake, look, you can look at it on paper and by name and say, oh, you know, a nice warm-up layup line for Indiana heading into the Big Ten with Kennesaw State, but he's like, don't kid yourself, Kennesaw State can offer some challenge to Indiana. Would you agree with that? I do. Uh, they were a ball club last year that gave Indiana all kinds of problems uh, in a similar situation where they played them just before Big Ten play started. And Indiana had a problem with them, not just because they were overlooking them in any way, shape, or form. I don't think they did that. That team was really good, and they were under a, a guy named Abdul Rahim who uh, went on after last season to a different job and an upscale job in the Power Five conference. But all that being said, they were well coached, and they got a bunch of those guys back, uh, two starters, uh, two of their key guys off the bench last year, and some transfers. And they're 9-4 and four right now. They did lose their last ball game against North Carolina Asheville and the last time they went out on the floor. But, but they're still a good basketball team, and they've got two of their key players from last year, Simeon Cottle and uh, Terrell Burden, a pair of guards who – uh, right now are leading them in scoring, and they've got two other players scoring in double figures. So this is this is not going to be a pushover ball game, and Indiana will have to be ready to play. And we've seen at times this year they haven't been as ready as we'd like. You know, when you look, Don, like when teams have an exhibition, okay, and maybe in that exhibition, like a like a you know an organized scrimmage, the coaches might get together and say, "Hey, you know what? Can do me a favor and, and run this so that my guys. I want to see how we react to this situation or that." Obviously, you don't do that in the regular season. I get it, but for the sake of the conversation, if Mike Woodson was able to go to Kennesaw State and say, "Look, going into Big Ten play, the area that my team seems to have the biggest struggle outside of outside shooting." that I really need to, to see where we are. Can you please work on the following to give me a glimpse of where I am? What area is that that you think Mike Woodson would say, this is the, the thing that I still want to get shored up the most heading into the conference? Well, in my opinion, uh, I would say probably defense. I just don't think their defense this year shot has been very good on a consistent basis. They've had really good games against uh, the, or when they've uh, guarded the three really well. But it hasn't been a consistency. And I think if you're going to be a good basketball team, the number one thing you've got to be good at is defense. If you can't if you can't stop people, you're not going to beat anybody. And obviously if you do it if you do it on a consistent basis, it gives you an opportunity to win every ball game if your offense is working. And I, I think the offense in this case has also been problematic to some degree, but not to the to the point where I think uh, defense has been the better of the two, and I, I really don't believe that. I think the offense has come around to a point now where they're starting to, to feel a lot more comfortable, a lot more confident with one another. And the other big factor, of course, still, and I know it's uh, people say it's an excuse, but it's truly not in this case. Xavier Johnson being out has really hurt this ball club, and he probably is one of the guys defensively that could really help you a lot. Hey, Don, Merry Christmas. Uh, last time you and I talked, asked you about Anthony Walker and what he could bring to the Hoosiers for the rest of December. Well, he's got 29 points in his last two games. Something still to build on for him. Can he do that at the Big Ten level, be it you know, the last two games, him against mid-majors, but still he played really well? Well, and that's what we'll find out. I mean, once you get into Big Ten play, it becomes a grind. And 
Uh, and he's been through the wars at, at the University of Miami. He's played played really well there a couple of years ago. He, he was a starter. Uh, last year, he, he went back to the bench, and he became more of a role-type player for them. Uh, I still think that you've got to have people coming off the bench, and I know that's how Mike looks at him as a guy that comes off the bench and gives him a spark. Uh, I just think he's playing the role that he's been given uh, to a really high degree, if you, if you know what I mean. Every time you get him out on the floor, he seems to do something positive. I think he gives this team a spark with his athleticism, with his ability to, to, to guard people, because he can guard all four. He can guard four positions on the floor, and he could actually probably guard a five if that five wasn't an overpowering type guy. So. I like what I see from him. I think he's given this team a real shot in the arm this year, especially coming off the bench. Don, you had mentioned Don Fisher, the voice of the Hoosiers, is our guest. You mentioned Xavier Johnson. And, look, I, I realize with injuries, you know, sometimes nobody knows, right? I mean, in, in terms of how long it takes the body to heal from, like, a lower leg injury, I had initially heard that kind of a target area would be against Nebraska or the, the initial early phases of the Big Ten season. Um, that probably is in flow, but is that? Do you think Indiana has an idea now of starting to see some light at the end of the tunnel in terms of the games missed for Xavier Johnson? Well, that's what we don't know. I mean, I haven't seen anything since the the, the, the uh, game with North Alabama. Of course, he wasn't ready to play in that when he was still in the boot. Uh, so, if you're asking me if he's going to play against uh, Kennesaw State or if he's going to play against Nebraska, I simply don't know at this point. My gut was that they were going to hold him out as long as they possibly could prior to Big Ten play. And I would think if he's ready to play right now, you'd want to get him into that Kennesaw State game just if, in fact, he is as rusty as we think he might be. And, of course, he needs some practice time, too. So I would say that this week we'll find out more about his status because, without question, they're going to need him, especially during Big Ten action. And I know they don't want to bring him back too soon this time because, uh, you know, he probably should not have played in that Harvard ball game because he still wasn't fully ready, but he wanted to play, and he told the coaches, I want to play in this game, that kind of thing. He did, and it cost him. So right now I think they're going to be more precautionary in terms of how he feels after practice a couple of times and then whether he plays in a ball game leading up to big time action. When a guy misses time, Don, and we're talking about young players, and in his case, of course, a more veteran college player, um, but in your experience of being around teams calling games, when guys miss extensive time, is there any like kind of estimated number of games it takes them to truly kind of get back into rhythm and shape, or does it truly depend player to player? I think it's more player to player. Um, I, I, you know, a guy like X who's been around, this is his fifth year in college basketball. Uh, he's a veteran. He's been through the wars. He knows what it's all about. He went through the injury issue last year, so he knows what that's all about at this point. Uh, I would think it depends on the guy you're talking about. And when it becomes a foot or some kind of a leg injury, it's usually harder to recover from that and takes a little bit longer simply because of where where the injury's at. If you get get an arm injury or shoulder injury or something like that, you can can respond from, from that probably a lot quicker because you're not banging that thing all the time or whatever injury it might be in that case. When it comes to a leg, that's part of the game. I mean, that's part of what you better be really good at with your leg. Everything's got to be uh, feeling strong and, and that type of thing. So I don't know if I'm explaining myself well. It feels like I'm fluttering around No, I here, get what but, you're saying, for sure. But 
but I, I do think that when it's a leg injury, you have to be very care- careful. Uh, leg or foot, I think those are the areas that are probably the most crucial to get a guy physically as healthy as you can get him before you bring him back. Don, one of the things that fascinated me, Don Fisher is our guest, the voice of the Hoosiers. Um, you know, I had made reference on this program to the fact that you and I were at a Daymar lunch together. I think it was like early November, maybe early to mid November. Mm-hmm. And, and we were discussing Indiana was getting ready to play Illinois in football. And you gave kind of a breakdown of Illinois running game. And then I'm watching the game and I'm like, Holy cow. Like this is exactly the, the players that you had described. So obviously, you know, goes without saying you do the homework of preparation and talking to the coaches before a, a game. Maybe that's just on a game-to-game basis, so it might be early for me to ask this question is why I'm long-winded getting into that intro. When it comes to the Big Ten season, is there a particular team that based on the preseason you look at and say, okay, going into the year, maybe we didn't think they were going to be as tough as they are, but I'm really intrigued to see what they're going to do in the conference this year. Is there one that jumps out, or is it too early to know that? I think it's kind of early to know that, but I'm going to tell you right off the top that I think Nebraska is a better team than they've been in some time. Uh, based on what I've seen this year, I've watched Fred Hoiberg a long time in his coaching career. I think he's finally got a ball club at Nebraska that he thinks is pretty good. Uh, so I'm a little intrigued by the fact that Indiana plays them in the very first Big Ten game coming back to competition in the conference. And we play them at Nebraska, so I, I think that that's that's a team I'm I'm thinking that's going to be better than people think. Um, Ohio State is our next ball game, and they of course struggled last year, but they look like they're much better this season. So right away, Indiana's going to get tested here to find out just where they stand, and then they play a Rutgers team that's had Indiana's number forever, as you guys all know. So. Boy, that one, yeah, for sure, right? I mean, it felt a couple of years, it felt like like Larry Moe and Curley could have played for Rutgers, and that's taken nothing away from the guys Rutgers had, right? But there was just right. something about going out there that was like, holy cow, Buzzsaw yeah. City. Whether it's going out there or them coming to our You're right. place, they've had Indiana's number for some time now, so... I know people would say, well, it looks like Indiana's probably got a good shot at least being 2 and 1 after the first three games of Big Ten play. <laughs> They've got a shot at losing all three, too, just because I think all, of the, all three of these ball clubs are a team that Indiana has had struggles with and they need to deal with on a positive basis, especially these first two, Nebraska and Ohio State. Rutgers is not having the year that they've normally had in the past, so they may not be quite as strong, but you're playing them at Rutgers. And that changes things pretty dramatically. The 29th, Hoosiers in Kennesaw State. Next on the slate for Mike Woodson's group, Don Fisher will be on the call. Of course, you can hear it along with uh, John Herrick from WIBC on the pregame over on our sister station. Don, appreciate the time as always. And again, happy holidays to you. Hey, thanks for uh, thanks for having me, of course. And uh, happy New Year to everybody, too. That's right. Happy New Year because that'll be uh, it'll be. I'm not going to do the lame talk to you next year joke, but I'll, we'll talk to you next year, Don. See you guys. All right. See, that's Don Fisher, the voice of the Hoosiers. Whether it's audiobooks or all time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Devilish performance in Georgia for sure for the Indianapolis Colts. As I had mentioned earlier on the program, on. Christmas weekend, if you will, instead of Santa going down, it was the Easter Bunny that laid an egg for the Colts in Atlanta. Joining us now to talk about it from ESPN.com, 
Stephen Holder joins the program. And uh, Stephen, first things first, before we get to all of that, did you make it back in time to spend Christmas with the family? I did. Um, I landed in Indianapolis um, about a quarter after 11 on Sunday. So, yeah, I think I'm – I don't know if I got into the house before Christmas, but I definitely made it back to the area code. So do, I was good. Do they – and I'm curious of this because I don't know the flight patterns. I've never flown late at night on Christmas Eve. Do they have to in any way divert the flight due to potential – I mean, nobody wants to obviously interfere with Santa's path. Mm-hmm. Do they do they do anything? Do they make any announcement of that of anywhere where you guys had to diverge a little bit and and just kind of give right of way to the sleigh? You know, I I think we were fortunate that he hadn't quite got to our part of the world gotcha. yet. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that's so probably we were right. Good. Yeah, it, it ended up not being delayed because I mean, you know, look, when it comes to air traffic control, he gets priority, right? Oh, so you, think? you just gotta wait. Yeah, yeah you know? that's exactly right. Yeah, he was probably like in you know Iceland or Scotland or something like that, and hadn't made his way over. Right. So that's good. Um, now, now, had I taken you know, had we been delayed or something, and had you know much later takeoff, now then all bets are off. But I think that's understandable, right? If they say we've got to wait thirty minutes because we got to let you know Santa clear the path, you, you got to roll with that, right? It is what it is, right? Yeah, I mean, you right. can't get in the way of that. That's right. I so would that's agree. Bad karma. If you do, I would that. agree. Okay, um, <laughs> the Colts. Okay, Stephen, I asked Kevin this. I'll ask you the same question. For the Colts this weekend, um, which, which is kind of the the bigger takeaway? The dang it, we had such a beautiful opportunity and we bypassed it, or wow, we really dodged a bullet because all we did was basically move from one week to the next with the standings essentially staying the same. <laughs> um, I for me, I think it's a wasted opportunity, and, and here's why: because. Both of those things are true, certainly. But look, I mean, they are not good enough to 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 kind of count their chickens before they hatch, you know. And and I'm talking about in weeks, the final two weeks of the season. Like this Raiders game, I'm not saying the Raiders are are a great team. Uh, the Raiders have issues, but I mean, who's taking the Raiders lightly right now? You, you can't. You absolutely can't. I mean, what they've done the last two weeks, it has to matter. It has to mean something. And, you know, we can talk about Kansas City having its issues, and they do, but, I mean, so do the Colts, right? So I just think they, they've taken away their margin for error. There actually is a scenario now, this, because they lost this game, there's a scenario now where the Colts can win out these last two games and still not make it. It's not likely necessarily, but it could happen. And it's not even a far-fetched scenario, but even though it's not a likely scenario. So my point is you have taken, you have taken away the ability to control your destiny, and, and that is not where you really want to be. I'll tell you, Stephen, the other thing that comes into play, and whoever would have guessed this, was yesterday Las Vegas doing what they did with Kansas City not only kind of sends a signal that they're not necessarily dead or that they can't you know Kansas City has their own issues but it kind of reawakened the Raiders too where all of a sudden now the Raiders have invested interest in being interested as opposed to just playing out their schedule I mean they how dangerous do they now become no I think that's true I mean look we saw last year a team that had an interim coach and yes the Colts did get um, certainly a, a bump in Jeff Saturday's first game, that win in Las Vegas, you know, speaking of the Raiders. However, 
after that, it really unraveled. And, and we know what happened after that. And so by the time we got to late in the season, you know, it felt like a foregone conclusion, you know, that, uh, that this team was just not really competing for the most part toward the end of the year. The Raiders could have been in the same boat had their results gone in a similar fashion, but they haven't. And so now you've got a couple of things. Guys are playing for their coach because I, I presume they, they like Antonio Pierce and, and want to see him be considered for the job. And, and frankly, if the Raiders might have hired their last interim coach, they might not even be here. But that's a whole other argument. Anyway, so that's a factor. And then also, look, I mean, guys are stepping up and, and getting opportunities and making good on those opportunities. You want to continue to capitalize on that. Uh, look, I mean, their offense, I don't know that it's, it's a great offense necessarily, but, you know, but every, every play you make uh, gives you an opportunity to, to be considered, you know, for the future. So, yes, I think there are, they are not checked out like you would have thought they were at this point. Steven, I know a lot of that game the Colts were battling back and behind, but without a catch, Jonathan Taylor had 18 touches. Even with this thumb surgery, is that enough for that type of game? I I don't quite necessarily take issue with the with the touches, the number of touches. I I just think that for me, uh, compared to the week before and the success they had in running the ball and, and creating running lanes, I just thought they went the complete opposite direction. That's my bigger concern. Uh, and I, I don't think coming off the, the surgery that that being a little careful with the touches is the worst thing. And, and I don't even know if that was even a low number. I think he's at, he's probably been in the twenty you know twenty carry range, so that's probably fine. But you know when he has played, Jonathan Taylor. But again, my bigger issue is why did the offensive line get manhandled? I mean, what, what happened? I mean, they were the ones manhandling Pittsburgh the week before. And so a week later, granted, I think uh, Jim Bob Cooter, the offensive, the offensive coordinator, excuse me, said just a little bit ago in his weekly session, he, he said that, you know, that Atlanta defensive line doesn't get enough credit and people kind of overlooked them. I, I agree with that. And that's fine. And, and they were at full strength on Sunday, which they have not been. That being said, I mean, this is supposed to be a strength of the Colts, you know, this offensive line. And and I don't put it on, on Taylor. I really don't. I thought that he got what he could get most of the time. And there were a few runs early in the game, particularly that first series where I was like, okay, that should have been a two-yard run, and he turned it into six. You know, so I, I don't think there was a lot for him to get in that game. The, the, the lanes just weren't there. Steven, this is, I hope, not such like an – an old narrative that it feels like I'm pulling off a scab, okay? But as I'm watching the game in Atlanta, I'm thinking to myself, okay, they already had Grover Stewart that we've talked about that went through a suspension that maybe that even made him some money because it kind of illuminated where he could be missed. And he's in a contract year. Michael Pittman not being there, I think we now know how valuable and how good Michael Pittman is. And anybody that says, like, well, he's just a, a number two guy, which I probably have fallen into that trap, I think we now know what a weapon he is for the Colts. And then I thought about Jonathan Taylor, who's the third guy that went into the year on a contract year, and they gave him essentially – and they caved to him. I mean, they, you know, Colts can say what they want about 
the bottom line is he held out and it paid off for him because he got basically what he was mm-hmm. looking for. Um, and yet, when he has not been available, his his replacements have played to a very high percentage of what it is that he brings to the table. And I know he's a special player. Did they overpay Taylor? And even though they have cap space, are they going to have are, – are, is either Stewart or Pittman playing themselves out of the Colts' price range? Fair question. I think that – I think that at the end of the day, the, the price of, of those two players, Pittman and Grover Stewart, um, d- determining their price won't have anything to do with Jonathan Taylor. You know what I mean? In other words, Jonathan Taylor's value is, is determined completely separate from those guys. Now, we can still quibble with whether they paid too much or whether they should have paid them. That's, that's fine. We can still have that argument. But I, I do think that those guys, those, their prices will be set for reasons or for, for, with factors based on factors that have nothing to do with Jonathan Taylor. Um, do I think they're pricing themselves out of the Colts range? Uh, no, I mean, they may, have, they may have an idea in mind of what they want to pay, and, and they may be pricing themselves out of that range, but I have no way of knowing that. But I'm just saying, theoretically, the, the Colts, and I, I do know this is how Chris Ballard operates, he'll put a price on a player, what he thinks the value is, and if it gets beyond that, then he starts to maybe think about, all right, what are our, what are our options? And so I don't think they'll let Pittman walk. I would be very, very, very surprised but you know, look. I mean, there's a there's a limit to how far they're willing to go with everybody. So I guess we'll see. I guess we but will see. Couldn't Kansas City be making Michael Pittman a lot of money right now? And by that I mean, people could talk all they want. I, I personally think it's a, a cheap, lazy, and easy narrative that Travis Travis Kelsey's been ruined by Taylor Swift. No, actually, <laughs> Travis Kelsey now plays on a roster that defenses can keep him far more in check because yeah. the receiving talent Patrick Mahomes was throwing to has all gone elsewhere. And and now we see how valuable receivers are. Surely Chris Ballard and the Colts look at Pittman and go, he's the one piece we got to have. Yeah, I, I think that that was a great example of it on Sunday too because, as you've already laid out, I mean, the, that offense looked like it was playing with one hand tied behind its back. Now, granted – there wasn't anybody making any plays elsewhere. I mean, someone could have stepped up, certainly. But there's no doubt. I mean, we can argue about whether Michael Pittman is a true number one receiver. My argument has always been, okay, well, for them, he's their number one receiver because he's the best they got. So whether he would be a number one on somebody else's team, it doesn't freaking matter. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like his value – let's put it this way. A player's value – to a particular team can be different than his value to another potential team because the circumstances are different. Right. And so if he were on a team, if you were on the Miami dolphins, okay, no, he wouldn't be a number one receiver because they have very good receivers on this team. And given what they have, he's clearly the number one receiver and very, very valuable because when he doesn't play, uh, they lose their go-to guy. That's the other thing. When it's third down, who are they throwing the ball to? Everybody knows where it's going, right? Everyone knows where it's going, including the defense. And what happens? He gets a first down most, more times than not. So, yeah, I, I, I think we have these, these sort of 
theoretical arguments, but at the end of the day, you can look at your roster. You can you know what your needs are. You know who your playmakers are. It's not that hard. Stephen, Jake and I were talking about this earlier, and I don't know if it gives you any sort of deja vu, but just with – and I realize 2021 was a different time because that Colts team in the last two, they just needed to win one game, right? They needed to beat either the Raiders or the horrible Jaguars down in Florida, and they were in the playoffs and they choked it away. But with a you know confident-feeling Raiders team coming in, d- does this have any sort of deja vu to you from two years ago? Yes. Now, I mean, listen, let's be clear. The stakes are not the same. Exactly. Okay? That, right. Right. That, that is true. And then when I say the stakes, I mean, the playoffs are certainly at stake, but I mean, where the team is, is not the same. Okay. In terms of their, their cycle. So this is, this is all gravy. You know, they, they lost their quarterback. They weren't supposed to be good this year. Okay, great. But I also would argue, but you're here now. <laughs> okay. You're here. So it kind of is what it is. Uh, I would say that um, there is a little bit of, uh, I think, reminiscence of, of 2021 just because it reinforces, and this came up in the locker room after the game, to, to be fair. Um, it reinforces the fact that <laughs> these things are very fleeting, these opportunities. They're very fleeting. You know? And the difference between getting into the postseason and having an opportunity to do something, anything, because anything can happen, the difference between that and going home and kicking yourself for six months is very thin. It's very thin. I mean, go back to 2018. That team starts one and five. You know, that was clearly Frank Reich's best, best job. One and five to start. They win nine out of 10 to finish. They get in the playoffs as a wild card. What happens? They go down to Houston. They win handily. Go to the second round. Granted, they lost pretty decisively in Kansas City that year. But my point is, there's no reason something like that couldn't happen to this team, given the AFC that we're looking at right now. I mean, who are you? Who would you say they absolutely, positively have no chance of beating if they got into the playoffs? Right? I mean, I, I certainly think they would be the underdog, probably a, a major underdog. But if you get there. I mean, they've already proven they've gone to Baltimore and won. I mean, they, they look, they've been competitive in just about every game. Anything can happen. So that's why I say, like, you know, these are, I think Gardner Minshew, who never really says a whole lot, but Gardner Minshew said it best, man. Like, you know, like, and, and I'm not even saying he played well. So he's probably talking about himself here too. But he did a great job, I thought, of putting it in context after the game. He's like, man, you know, you can't take nothing for granted. You know, like, you have to go get it. And these opportunities – you never know when they're going to come again. So, and, and that actually is, should be the takeaway from 2021 because there was no next time because the next year was even worse. So maybe, you know, maybe this is the next time. We'll see. Steven, in terms of the injury to Michael Pittman, is there any chance he misses more than – was that it? Or are, are we going to see him – against the Raiders, or is that still to be determined? Uh, I mean, with concussions, I think you always have to just say TBD. You, you just have to. And, and this is the most glaring example of why. You know, we, we think we have learned a lot about concussions, and we have. We certainly have. But we also have a lot we don't quite understand. You know, we, we don't necessarily quite understand why someone would – 
would not show any indications for several days and then a few days later have a recurrence like Michael Pittman. Why does that happen? I don't know. <laughs> you know, uh, a lot of these things can't be explained or at least they don't they aren't fully understood. So to to your question, yeah, he's got to go back into the concussion protocol, if my understanding is correct. So that means tomorrow we're, he's starting over and he's got to practice again and on a limited basis, no contact, and, and sort of hit all those steps one more time. So we, we will still be two days from now, more than likely, a couple of days from now, still be talking about, well, is Michael Pittman going to clear the protocol? Because he had to start this thing over. Um, oh, also on – Injury note, a um, little bit of news here. Now hang on, uh, we're going to play the breaking news sounder for you, Stephen. Eddie? Fire away, Stephen Holder. So, the Indianapolis Colts have placed safety Julian Blackman on injured reserve. So, that is a bummer. He went down on Sunday, uh, what was that, a shoulder, I believe? Correct, initially so, labeled as a shoulder injury. Yeah, I, I don't know what the ultimate diagnosis was talked to him in the locker room he seemed somewhat optimistic but i've heard that before from players i get it uh look he he wasn't able to move that 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 shot i think it's right if i'm not mistaken he wasn't able to move it very well at all i mean it looked a little bit like i don't want to be alarmist but it looked a little bit like anthony richardson when he was coming off the field there you know that sort of like immobile right arm shoulder area so i don't know that's certainly not promising what does that mean for the roster and depth chart because they made like a lower level move um yeah but that now puts the onus on who and does it make the, you look good player julian blackman no question steven but is, is that an area now where somebody else gets put out of position and they become susceptible well the timing isn't terrible because they've been they've been kind of uh platooning Nick Cross in there a little bit more. And, you know, it's been – this is his second year. We're late into his second year, and he still has only played sporadically. Well, he's going to have to play now. He's going to finish it out. Uh, so I, I think they've done a good job of of using him in strategic situations where he can get some some experience. And and it's it's been good for him. He's actually started to make some plays, but um, he's going to be tested now. And, and – I think it also, though, what it really hurts, I think, is that you don't have that major experience on the back end now at safety. You had a really experienced, um, a very, I thought Julian Blackman was having a great season, by the way. Uh, So you have a really experienced guy back there who's a playmaker, uh, a versatile playmaker, too, who can play down in the box, play deep, cover a lot of ground. Julian Blackman's a very good player. So they lose his versatility. And they lose his experience. Now you've got two second-year players at the, their respective safety spots, and Nick Cross and Rodney Thomas. So you know that is not an ideal situation. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Stephen Holder is our guest from ESPN. Stephen, curious your thoughts on this. I'm watching Baltimore and San Francisco last night, and, and, and quite honestly, I thought to myself, this seems so easily to be a safe Super Bowl projection. Sure. But at the same time, 
there are always teams that kind of you know a lot of times the playoffs are just about a team that gets hot at the right you know at the right time yeah. um are either of those two teams fool's gold would be my first question and my second would be who are we sleeping on if anybody hmm, good question i i don't think either team's fool's gold i mean i still think san francisco top to bottom best roster in the nfl i don't think there's any doubt like if you were going to build a team you would build it like the 49ers and you can argue, oh, I, I like their quarterback or I don't like their quarterback. I mean, whatever. We're not, I'm not, you know, this isn't a, a Brock Purdy debate. I'm just saying top to bottom, depth, all the positions that matter. Like they have probably the, – they, they probably hit the most or check the most boxes. Um, so I'm, I don't think there's an issue there. Uh, Baltimore uh, – look, I mean, Baltimore, the one thing about them is they're, they're always unfazed which is maybe a John Harbaugh thing. Like he, you know, his teams always respond to challenges. Um, you know, look, they haven't had a deep playoff run. So that's, that's where, if you want to talk about fool's gold, I mean, that's where they have to prove themselves. I mean, where, where's their deep playoff run with Lamar Jackson? It's not that I don't think he can do it because frankly, he's probably needed some more help over the years, but, but he hasn't done it, you know, and, and Mahomes has done it. Uh, you know, even even Josh Allen, you know, has, has had a deep run. So he's got to prove that. You know, the other big-time AFC quarterbacks have made their deep run. You know, uh, Lamar Jackson is the guy who still has to prove it. And then I think you asked me, are we sleeping on anyone? I, I, I don't know if sleeping on anyone is the right word. Um, I would say I would say that the, the Buffalo Bills, this is not news to anyone that I'm going to say this, but – I don't want to play that team. I mean, especially if they're a wild card. They're a wild card team. And and I guess they still have a shot. I think, do they still have a shot at the division? I, I don't know. I have to look at that. But if they were a wild card team, Buffalo, and they go on the road and face somebody, I mean, <laughs> they're not going to be intimidated whatsoever. In fact, it could be, I don't know, who would be the – the last division winner. Um, I don't even know who that would be. Well, probably Jackson. You mean the four seed? Yeah. So yeah, ja- like Jacksonville, Jacksonville or Indy right. or, you know, whoever wins the right. South. That AFC South winner. You know, what if that's the matchup? Well, who are you taking in that matchup? You're taking Buffalo, right? And then, now, it would be a, it'd be a tougher road. They'd have to go on the road and, and make their run that way. But, I mean, they're, they're hot and, and they're a tough team. Uh, they're a tough team to match up with. So, anyway, they, they would be one um, – you know, there's a there's a handful of teams I think that that could win um, in the playoffs that maybe aren't top of mind. But you know, I I think Miami is such a such a wild card to me. You know, just because <laughs> they have some really impressive wins. I thought beating the Cowboys was really impressive, but I also have reason to wonder sometimes what kind of team they are. I don't know. Let's see. I mean, they'll, okay. they'll get home field potentially. That'll Two be things great. here, Stephen. First off, Buffalo can still win the division because they have previously beaten Miami and they end the year against Miami. So they have I that chance, right? week 18. Now, right. Okay. the other thing is this, and I, I don't know uh, blank from Shinola, okay? But I know this much. And and you can lock, you you can take this to the bank. You can put it right up there with like, give me liberty or give me death is one of the great quotes of all time in American history. You ready? Uh, yeah. If the Dolphins try to play in the playoffs with the more modern version of their helmet and and scheme as opposed to the throwbacks that they played with in Dallas, they're screwed. Man, listen, you were talking to the right guy. Like, I, I mean, I'm not a big uniform guy. Like, I generally don't care. 
I'm not one of those people who's ever going to have like a, a hot take about uniforms because I just don't care. I think we care too much. However, that being said, those are the absolute positively best throwbacks totally. in NFL history, or at least currently I mean, the best throwback. The, 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 you got to wear them. Totally. I mean, your greatest ever player wore them. Your greatest yes. ever team wore them. The only undefe- or the last undefeated team wore them. And and here's let's let's go through it. Sure, okay, you've got the more sleek, fast-looking dolphin on the side of the helmet. Great, but but you've got a dolphin that not only has the the wherewithal and the athleticism to jump through a hoop, but also is smart enough to protect himself by wearing a helmet. You can't I go mean, wrong with it. Come on, man! What are you doing? <laughs> right. I mean, and also. Look, I mean, it, it just feels natural, too. Like, the, the, new, the new dolphin look, to me, always felt forced. I don't know. It just did. I would say the other, the other one that I, that I actually um, care about to some degree is, is the Seattle throwbacks. Like, oh. they should never, ever wear anything else. Listen, Love that. You, you, I don't know if you ever listened to this program, Stephen, but, but, like, I – it. I'm telling you, like the the Seattle Seahawks throwback uniforms are to me what the Farrah Fawcett poster was to most kids in the late seventies. Okay, I get it. Like get I'm it. not lying to you. Now, what's the dolphin? Do you know the name of the dolphin? The little dolphin on the helmet jumping through the hoop. Does he have a name? That's a great question. Not to my knowledge. If I if that if he does and I don't know that, I'd be very disappointed that I'm just learning it. I'm going to go so with Mickey. I'm going to go with Mickey the Miami Dolphin. You can't go with Flipper, right? Flipper's taken. Right. Flipper's legendary, right. Um, was Flipper uh, a hey dolphin man, or was he a porpoise? Do we know what – was Flipper – what was he? Was he a dolphin or a porpoise? Oh, now you're getting really tense. Or do you know uh, the difference am, between am, a dolphin and a porpoise? I'm right. <laughs> what? Steven, do you ever think to yourself, why do I agree to these radio hits? Well, occasionally I learn something, but oftentimes <laughs> I just today. leave. I, oftentimes I just leave, you know, sort of asking myself, "What is the meaning of life?" You know, and, and not knowing the answer. <laughs> Wait, Brennan, do we have answers? Well, t- I have the current name of the dolphin, but it says there has never been a different name. So I guess this is the okay. case. His name is abbreviated TD for the dolphin. Oh, that's the his, mascot. His, yeah, his yeah, name yeah. is the dolphin TD. See, they got to do better than that. That's like the Orioles, the Oriole bird. I mean, come on. Who who they have a name that's like it's like a fifth grade contest? <laughs> Wait, actually. There are people with marketing degrees I, that come I, up with this crap, there's Stephen. A, there's do you know a how Wikipedia that is to me? see also section? Come on. Oh, wait, no, I got it. You were right. No. Flipper was the mascot for the Miami Dolphins from 1966 to 1968. Okay, for what, for three years? Oh, for three years. Okay. Just was, as long as the Charlotte 49ers. The, then he became the team meal of the 73 Dolphins. <laughs> yeah. Great. All right. All right Everybody's great. eating my body in Miami. Steven, we'll let you go. I apologize oh, for man. keeping you that long. We'll let you get busy because you got big news with Julian Blackman on IR. You can read Stephen, of course, at ESPN.com. Appreciate it, Stephen. All right, guys. Take care.